Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 11. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from EngageWorship.org. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. We'll be dissecting classic songs, exploring songwriting technique in the workshop, and interviewing songwriters, theologians, pastors, and more, all in the pursuit of our vision of a new wave of quality grassroots worship songs. Happy Easter, Joel. Oh, happy happy Easter to you, too. Sorry, I was having just a little sip of tea at that moment. Happy, absolutely. It's just we just had Easter, haven't we? Yeah. How's your Easter been? What's what's a Swedish Easter like, Sam? Um, they pulled twigs out of the ground and stick luminous feathers onto them. Really? Yep. And uh, they. What does it mean? It means like new life and. That's Fair enough. Like a chocolate egg, something. Yeah, like exactly. I mean, <laughs> they don't have chocolate eggs quite the same way as we do. Um, well, they that's have... got to be disappointing for the kids to move from chocolate eggs to twigs. Well, they still have loads of sweets. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's not missing. Um, but we did... Uh, Sarah runs a couple of choirs, so we were preparing stuff for Christmas Day with the oh. children's choir and the oh, adult Easter choir. Easter Day. Yeah, so it was, it, was a, it was a busy one, and we did Good Friday as well. But other than that, it's, it, I've been looking at people online uh, who are friends and, and worship pastors and things going oh i'm so shattered now after that week but yeah i didn't really feel that we had a we had a good week off really lovely and you've just um you tell us about this new thing you've done with outdoor outdoor worship yeah so this is our new resource book from engagedworship.org um it's really sarah's idea um and it's based around the idea that uh, it says in romans doesn't it that we we can see kind of the nature of god through his creation and yet so much of our time we spend in church when we're worshipping and we stare at screens or we kind of stare at walls. And uh, so this is about, um, it's, it's aimed at mixed age groups. So intentionally when adults and children are together. Yeah. Um, and basically being outside, connecting with creation in different ways, uh, but then also seeing that from a, a biblical angle and from a worshipful angle um so it's it's most it's there's some little articles in there but it's mostly um ideas of things you can do and it's yeah it's um we're really? excited about it is it waterproof an, it's not no uh, but it uh, does have like feel you could put it in a i don't know you could put it in a plastic bag if you want it's not a bad idea fine. uh it's got like space for field notes as well so the idea is you kind of personalize it and scribble in it or stick yeah. your photos in of what you've done so it becomes a bit of a almost like a journal as well. Oh, brilliant. I noticed that you were talking then about mixed worship rather than family worship or all age worship. Or Is that like a, is that a, a new Hargreaves-ism or is that a, it, it sounds like it's quite a good expression to me. I think people are using lots of phrases like multi-generational, mixed age. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think to try it because things like all age and family service have got a particular, um, history with some people anyway yeah. um, but there are a lot, quite a lot of people who are well, we've done a kind of family church thing where we got together with a couple of other families which is where a lot of these ideas have come from yeah. and did a sort of devotional thing together if people are involved in missional communities often they're mixed ages quite a lot of people kind of questioning whether actually spending the majority of our time split into aged groups is really the best way to build faith um we're quite inspired by Deuteronomy 
six where it talks about you know um talk about these things when you go out of your house and when you come home and impress them on your children and if we Mm. sort of always split ourselves away from our children or from people of different age groups we're not really learning together we're kind of learning separately and of course it's a place for that but i think we feel like we want to be part of something that's inspiring people to to do faith and life and worship together and we're going to cover some more of that in um in a later podcast not it's long, coming it's coming it's coming yeah great well um i i led worship on easter sunday evening and um actually it was an accident because i i filled, <laughs> I filled in my availability for the rotor and accidentally put easter sunday evening down when i'd already decided i couldn't do it because we had all sorts of other things going on um and then I started getting these messages from the vicar saying, here's the service plan and so on. I just assumed he didn't know who was leading so I, and was just sending them to everyone. So I ignored them for days. Oh, and funny. then I realised it was all my fault. So anyway, so I had to do it, um, which was fine. And I went and did it. And the thing about doing Easter Sunday evening is that um, it's, it's the evening and Easter is such a morning thing. And I've always found doing an evening service at Easter quite quite difficult because we've sort of done it in the way that christmas is a bit of a nighttime thing christmas works really well with candles Mm. and darkness and easter is all about sunrise and and the morning isn't it so um it was one of those ones where i sort of turned up and we we just kind of looked at each other and said okay yeah it's weird isn't it doing easter sunday evening yeah it's weird (laughs) isn't it and actually we had a really um we had a really good service um which is very which is very good and encouraging. And um, we sang that, um, you know, that Hillsong Creed oh, yeah. song. Um, yeah. That was a great way to end an Easter Sunday service because it's sort of that kind of time when you just want to reaffirm everything that you believe in. So that was oh, really cool. encouraging. And then the week before, which is when I actually intended to be leading worship, I had a go at that song that I played you last time. Ah. And um, so this is interesting because um, I took on board lots of what you said um, and I tried, I sort of gave it, pepped it up a bit. Um, I lifted a bit of the tune um, and I put that kind of echoey thing on the end, found a way of doing that. And I took it along and I was there with the, the band and we were, we knew all the other songs really well. So we spent quite a, t- a lot of time practicing this one. And we were just going to sing it in communion, which is obviously, you know, it's the time you can yeah. you can sing whatever you like. Yeah. And it just, it just wasn't working. Huh. It just didn't feel right. It, I, it felt clumsy. It felt awkward. It sort of somehow the meaning was getting lost and so on. So... We kept practicing. We got it a little bit tighter and so on. The echoes worked really well. Uh-huh. And that was a, such a good idea. Um, and then when we got to communion, I just suddenly completely ignored everything you'd said. Uh. Went back to my old version. <laughs> and slowed it right down. Did someone say, Joel, what this really needs is to sound a little bit more like Leonard Cohen. It needs a bit, yeah, you need a little bit more melancholy in it. And suddenly it all held together. <laughs> but it held together, it was really interesting, suddenly it held together musically. I started straightening out the rhythm, I really straightened the rhythm. Yeah. Um, but doing that, and then getting to those echoes at the end, Our God is peace. At that moment, you suddenly saw all these people in the congregation suddenly tune in and start oh, singing cool. along with those bits. So actually the bit they all sang along with, Sam, was the bit that you suggested. Yes. yes. Um, but the other thing was, you know, the end, the, um, cause I just didn't have time to, did to you leave to something, something's in? I, 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 no, I did put something in there. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but I left, I put, you know, the, the last verse where I had, um, B 
be the revelation of a God of transformation who's offering salvation. It was all these Asians. Yeah. And I hadn't managed to work on that. So I thought, I'll just leave that in. But then when we got to that verse, that was the moment where suddenly everyone tuned in again and all joined in singing it. And then we repeated it and they all joined in. And, and it had... So I guess what I'm saying, Sam, <laughs> is that... I, actually, what I'm saying is that it's... There's there's always this tension between the experience of singing something, what it looks like on paper, and that neither are necessarily right. That's mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm saying. So even though we got there, and actually it was that Asian 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 verse where people grabbed the lyrics and sang them, mm. um, and even though it, in slowing it down it felt. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the best way to do it. I'm still going to come back and I'm going to work on it and I'm going to revise it and I can see if I find other ways of expressing the same things. Um, but I just wanted to share with you. That is totally fine. Can I just clarify that when you're saying Asian, 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 you're not talking about people from Asia, are you? <laughs> no. Just just so you know, just take a look at the lyrics, people, if you need to be clarifying what Joel is talking about. <laughs> Thank you. So there we go. Uh, okay, let's turn to um, some correspondence. We had an email, Sam, from Keith, um, uh-huh. who was listening to episode 10. He says, hi, Joel. Thanks for all the helpful tips. Doesn't mention Sam. I think <laughs> clearly enough. we know where the helpful tips come from. Um, and um, he said the last podcast uh, had underlined some thoughts he'd been struggling with for a while. What are worship songs for? My own take seems to be at odds with a lot of the new songs I hear. And he goes on to talk about his kind of understanding of worship being about cementing our understanding of God and expressing something of our love for him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit and so on. He says, my concern is that a good number of today's songs seem to be on the personal love end of the spectrum, which is not wrong as personal worship. However, it misses a lot of the communal love and action focus of the older hymns and songs. And it was mentioned by Matt or Dan that the need to follow current style is tending to become over important. The implication is that we're heading down a blind alley. If style has become more important than the content, then we're getting our worship songs wrongly focused. So what should the focus of our songs for corporate worship be? Where are congregations headed musically? How much responsibility do we have to help improve our congregation's understanding within a musical frame work sorry, within a musical framework they can relate to? So he addressed it to me, so it's probably best, Sam, if you answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, clearly he's asking us to solve every problem in in worship music. Um, I guess fundamentally I agree with him um, that, yes, it's good to express personal love to God, but actually we're perhaps going, going down a blind alley if we're just doing that. And certainly historically and biblically worship music or however you define it, has not just been about a personal worship experience. It's been about uh, a community. It's been about what God is doing in transforming all of us, transforming the world. Uh, It's been about having a bigger picture and a revelation of God so that we can be be transformed as people, not simply that we can just express our our hearts. Um, So I, I do agree with him. I guess the next question is what's what's the answer? What's the Mm. response to that? And I do think that here it doesn't work just to rubbish um, everything that's going on. I don't think Keith's doing that, but it's one approach is just to kind of write lots of blog posts where you, um, you know, you you take down all the the recent worship songs. I don't think that's helpful. Or you just become the grumpy person in church, basically, that doesn't like anything. I, I tend to think of it more as like a balanced diet. So if I try and give my kids just, 
you know, boiled potatoes and sprouts, they are not going to eat their dinner. Um, and there's something about in a in a musical worship um, experience of a, of a church over a period, having a balanced diet. So having some things that are simply familiar, having some things that simply are, you know, have an emotional connection. Those things yeah. are fine and they should be there um, because otherwise people aren't going to, aren't going to engage but we also need some stuff which is a bit more meaty you know paul's analogy of of milk and meat we need some of that meat there uh we need some stuff which is a bit more challenging we need some stuff that's a bit more communal rather than personal we need some stuff that looks out to the world around us and to what god's doing in the big picture and and we need some stuff fundamentally that is simply about god rather than about us yeah uh, and what he's doing and his his revelation so but I would see that as a kind of, of a, a, a diet, if you like. And I guess the answer for us in terms of worship songwriters is just to be writing great stuff. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Joel, that we've written things in the past where we've tried to write a kind of, oh, right, now we're going to nail a brilliant song on the Trinity. Yeah. And it ends up sounding like a theologian or, you know, would-be theologian is trying to <laughs> write, you know, and it just is so dry. It's it's like chewing liver, you know, it's it's no, there's nothing to it. So... Sorry, this is a slightly long-winded answer, but I guess what I'm saying to Keith is an encouragement for him to keep writing, for us all to keep writing, and writing songs that, yes, you know, they, they do the the theology or they do the different themes and emphases, but they do them in an engaging way and they do them in a way that is going to... Congregation going to want to sing them, basically. Yeah. There's something as well, isn't there, about broadening the musical style, the musical vernacular, to make space for different types of songs. So Definitely. some some start, you know, the the kind of American West Coast power ballad is going to be a song about you and how much you love something. Isn't it? I mean, it, that's because <laughs> yeah. that's what it is stylistically. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, so you actually have to broaden slightly stylistically to allow some other stuff in. So we talked, you know, talked with Stuart Townend about using folk music and, mm. uh, and other some of those ideas, kind of accessing them, and I suppose appropriating them somehow to to bring them in towards the style that you use. But actually, when you write, that finding that right musical vehicle to allow you then to express those different thoughts. So we dissect a classic. Dissect a classic. This week we are going to look at, according to Songs of Praise, the UK's favourite hymn. Actually, I don't know if it's still it. I don't know where the In Christ Alone is now. I think In Christ Alone might still be might be second. It did. It did win that though, didn't it? It yeah. certainly has won it every year for about forty years, and it is. Uh, oh Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder how great Thou art. Now. This is uh, this this hymn has its origins in Sweden, doesn't it, Sam? So yes, where I'm I've sitting set you a task. right now. Yeah, yes. So it was originally a poem uh, set to a Swedish traditional melody by Carl Gustav Boberg, or Boberg. You would probably say that in English. Um, he wrote it in 1885. Gosh. And um, if you uh, remember back to episode one when we looked at Hark the Herald, and it had that real history of change all through you know, hundreds of years. This is this is a hymn with a very similar history in that it's been adapted and changed and um, translated. So it was originally translated into German and then from German, so Swedish to German, German to Russian. Yeah. Uh, and there, Sweet, was, right? there was an earlier English translation, but the one that we know today uh, came from a missionary to Russia uh, called Stuart K. Hine, 
who translated it from the Russian into English and then also added a couple of verses of his own. Um, and one of the verses, uh, probably the one for which it's best known and best loved, is the when I think that God is son not sparing verse, yeah. what we think of as verse four. So basically he was in uh, Ukraine and he went to uh, a believer's house called Dmitri. And he heard this, um, the, the, the person who's written this says, a strange and wonderful sound. Dimitri's wife was reading from the Gospel of John about the crucifixion of Christ in a house full of guests. Those visitors were in the very act of repenting. In Ukraine, this act of repenting is done very much out loud. So the Heinz heard people calling out to God, saying how unbelievable it was that Christ would die for their own sins and praising him for his love and mercy. They just couldn't barge in and disrupt this obvious work of the Spirit. So they stayed outside and listened. Stuart wrote down the phrases he heard the repenters use. And even though this is all in Russian, it became the third verse that we know today. And when I think the wow. God is so not sparing, sent him to die. So it's like, wow, you know, that verse that we, I'm sure we all know and love. Yeah. Um, it is birthed in that amazing place of hearing somebody simply read from the Gospels and the people respond and go, really, that's, that's what someone did for me. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and if you want to look it up, there are other stories about how he wrote the, the last verse and also um, where uh, Bulber's original in inspiration was for writing, you know, the song about creation. It's clear to me living in Sweden how you can get inspired to worship God by creation. Right. Because uh, it's so beautiful here. Um, and, you know, when I, when it, it sings about, you know, the, the forest glades and the mountains, I, you know, I picture Sweden more than I picture Luton, surprisingly enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was um, really came to popularity because of George Beverly Shea and Cliff Barrows using it uh, during the Billy Graham Crusades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the story goes um, that they were sent the the music, and originally they didn't really look at it, but then they kind of cottoned onto it, and then they actually went to to Stuart K. Hine and worked on the version that they were going to sing during the Crusades, right. and it became basically the theme song to one of his biggest Crusades. Um, so that's where it became sort of so popular and then also a lot of pop singers so people like dolly parton elvis presley um johnny cash uh quite recently carrie underwood in 2011 yeah um it became number one uh again because of her her version so um yeah it's 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 certainly a really well-known hymn wow no disrespect to carrie but <laughs> dolly parton elvis <laughs> And Johnny Cash. I know. That's not bad, is it? If you wanted someone to cover your song. Seriously. <laughs> that's not bad at all. So is it, in Sweden, is it popular now? And are they still singing the original or? Well, my impression, I think they still sing fairly much the original words, but my impression was that it kind of slightly fell out of, I mean, it was just, you know, like any any hymn really. And then as it went around the world, it kind of had a revival back here. So they were singing obviously the original version. Um, but I think it, it kind of, it was as it went around the world and then came back that they realised, oh, hang on, we've got a, you know, an amazing hymn here. Well, let's dive in and dissect it. I'm going to start. And here we go. We've got one minute to do this. Uh, so why does it work? I, I got a few things. The first is, I love the fact that verse two, certainly, and, and a lot of verse one, is about being outside. And mm. it, ties in so nice. I hope you put this in your Worship Outside book. It is that? actually in our book. Yes, we do mention yeah. it. Because that's what it is about, and it puts it so beautifully. Yeah. She uses some lovely words, like forest glade. Mm. I never think of putting that in, but it, it's so descriptive. Finding a short 
way of describing something which carries overtones itself and saves you words and saves this sort of concise language. This is such a, yeah. a good skill. It's actually it's actually very well assembled. It has a, a beautifully satisfying rhyme scheme throughout it. Yeah. It's really sort of compact. There are no wasted words. So I think that's really good. Um, the chorus, the um, then sings my soul is that's on a harmonic series mm. so you've got the if we do it in a e a c sharp sorry anyone who's got perfect pitch uh, <laughs> that's that makes it so grabbable so strong it's like it's what a, a bugle would come out yeah. with that tune it's a bugle yeah. tune and so it feels it's the most natural musical melody because it's just building on harmonics yeah um so you get that ba 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 which is really bugle like but then you follow it up with this very kind of sweet sort of lilting da 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 mm. um, which gives this kind of impact and then reflection impact and then reflection which I think is a, a, a fantastic strength of the song I think I've definitely used up my time well my my uh, suggestion would be simply that it's so God focused I think that's why it works so well um, apparently Billy Graham said the reason why I like how great thou art is because it glorifies God it turns Christian's eyes towards God rather than upon themselves. I use it as often as possible because it's such a God-honouring song. Uh, and I definitely agree with that. You know, it, there is the emotional response, but and it, and it is kind of personal when I do this, when I do that, but the focus is very much on God. And also, um, the lyrics, um, Stuart Hines' lyrics don't feel archaic or difficult to understand. If you look at the first English translation by Gustav uh, Johnson, an American, um, called Oh Mighty God... Uh, the lyrics now look very archaic. They're they're kind of good theology, but they they just they're difficult to kind of sing nowadays. So I think that's another thing is that these are these are strong lyrics, but they're also immediately understandable. We have to uh, also say if Stuart brought this to us um, while he was in the middle of writing it, what kind of tips and hints might we give him? I'm gonna I've only got thirty seconds, um, but I wanted to just say at the outset, this is. Uh, Clearly, this is one of the great worship songs. I've sung it a million times. Yeah. Um, but when you start to delve into it, there's so much wrong with it, as well <laughs> as so much right with it. So I'm going to try and fit it in very quickly. Um, so interesting thing, just the opening phrase, awesome wonder. And I've just been thinking about that. What is awesome wonder? It's wonder sort of filled with, should it be awe-filled wonder? Should it be awe and wonder? It's a slightly odd Slightly odd phrase. The fact that in the chorus, um, how great thou art, art is the strong word every time. <laughs> how great thou art. And naturally, you'd want to say, turn that around. So our God is great. Or, yeah. or so, you land well, on a strong the word. The Swedish is, oh, story good. It's God is the word. Yeah. And also the original, oh, oh mighty God. So Yeah, in Spanish, cuan grande es Dios. You land on God as well. I yeah, just so international on this like, podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, there's also the very strange kind of change of harmony midway through the first line, which has always mm. given it this really sort of odd feel. Um, and whenever I do, I'm, can I just play what I do? I mean, it's, it's do. obvious, but um, is um, I just shift that chord change to make yeah. it really standard. Me too. When, uh, well, uh, English. When, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome It's really normal and then the final thing that i have to point out is that bit of the melody that nobody knows then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou 
pick a note. (laughs) 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 Where the congregation always sings a beautiful harmony there because no one quite knows what the tune is. And so I'm I'm picking this stuff out and it's slightly in in good humour because it clearly is such a brilliant song. Isn't it extraordinary that actually it even has a note that nobody really knows in the middle of the chorus and yet it is one of the most popular songs in the world. I mean, what is that note, Sam, do you think? See, I think I always go how low. How great thou art, art, how great thou art. I think that's right. Um, but but I always feel like the rest of the congregation sing something different to what I do, so... How great thou art. Yeah, I think that's what other people sing. Which is quite a nice note as well. Yeah, yeah. isn't that funny? Uh, Sam, anything to add? Uh, yeah, just the, the, the final verse. Um, again, if you look on Wikipedia, you'll see there's a... This is where we get all our information, ladies exactly. and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, it's very um, well researched this podcast. So, um, but if you look at um, the uh, the story of the last verse as well, it's quite a moving story of of how uh, is again Heinz' original uh, verse, really. Um, although the Swedish one is kind of similar, um, but the the theology Tom Wright, the uh, was bishop and, and theologian, uh, picks up on the theology. Um, saying that that sense of take me home um, it's often used in in Christian lyrics and things um, but actually that uh, the Bible is more about God renewing creation so yes we may go to heaven when we die but the the eventual plan of God is to renew his creation um, and that you know Revelation 21 um, heaven comes down to earth so that sense of take me home is very much a sort of whips us away from this world feel rather mm. than that God is going to renew uh, his creation. So I know uh, Tom Wright has suggested some changes, uh, I think maybe to, to win the world, I think is his yeah. line. I, I'm, to be honest, it's one of those ones where I think if you were to change it, you might get pitchforked um, as you left the <laughs> church that morning. So it's, it's a tricky one. But I, I do, I sympathise with that sense of if we always sing about God whipping us away from this world, then I don't think we're really having a fully biblical picture of what God's plan is for the new heavens and the new earth. It gives us, and it reinforces that that sense of abandoning this world. Yeah. Which actually is not good for this world, is it? If we're all thinking, oh, great, we get to abandon this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Lord my God, how great thou art has been dissected. It's time to move on to the 12 song challenge. 12 song challenge. So this last month we was the um what do we call it texts and tunes mm-hmm. texts and tunes challenge and the idea was that as a writer you had to just write half of it you had to either find a text or a tune either by finding someone else who would write that for you or go and have a look online have a look through a hymn book and so on and then write the other half and it's partly about um testing yourself getting a sense of actually what your your kind of major skill is it was partly about us, I think, trying to encourage that kind of collaboration within songwriting to say we don't all have to be the complete singer-songwriter package. And actually there's something to be said for for not being that so that you really focus on, on that section that you're doing. So we sent people off. Um, people have... Uh, it's been lovely, actually. Some of our 12-song challengers have got together and they've been writing things together. Um, others have gone and you know done Google searches and found... Uh, words and melodies and so on so we've had some stuff from them we asked them um, a bit of feedback 
um, this month. So let me just read one or two of those. Fiona said, I found this month's challenge easier than January or February because we were sharing the workload with others. I think I'm a better composer than lyricist. So with a set of words in hand, I didn't have to spend as long crafting the song. Perhaps I should try and do the opposite in the future to improve that weaker skill. It did have the desired synergistic effect. And I'm really happy with what Trish and I came up with together. And then Leslie said, I've discovered I'm more of a lyricist than composer. So I picked up some music needing words from the forum. I found it challenging not to change what was written, but the music itself was inspirational. And once I started, the words flowed. Really pleased with the result and would never have been able to write it on my own. And I've, I've actually looked, um, I've seen what Leslie's done and she, she got some words from Andy, who was one of the guys, um, I think we played his song in the, one of the first ones mm -hmm. in January. And he'd offered this tune. And, and afterwards he said, um, having heard what Leslie had done, he said, oh, I thought that tune was a really kind of big rocky thing that was about something completely different. And Leslie taken it and, and slowed it down and made it much more sort of beautiful and haunting and used, those, used some words from Psalm 139 to, huh. to write there. But isn't it good that uh, there's a couple of people there saying, I've discovered I'm more of a composer or I'm more of a lyricist. And wouldn't it be great to, to see some of that kind of collaboration going forward so that those particular skills um, get well used? Mm. Sam, have you had a look through the, um, through the songs that we've had this, this time from our writers? So yes, I found a, a song by Josh Hobbs. Uh, he's gone onto the Jubilate website, as we encouraged, and uh, found some lyrics by Brian Black who uh, was an Australian guy, and um, it's called The Cross of Christ, Love Sacrifice. Really strong, um, obviously cross-based um, lyrics. And what Josh has done, I think it's a little bit like what Vicky Cook did with Before the Throne of God Above in taking some really strong hymn lyrics from a, you know, a previous generation, essentially, and giving them quite a contemporary-sounding tune. Um, so should we have a listen? The cross of Christ, love sacrifice, declares God's Son has paid the price of sinful thoughts and words and deeds, and now can meet our deepest needs. What priceless love, what matchless grace, we sin is can by faith embrace. And know he's washed our sin away, our living friend forever. Christ crucified on Calvary's hill, fulfilled his Father's sovereign will. That special place in history reveals his name. job I, I straight up I, I like that he's taken the challenge very very seriously and said I'm going to find a set of words and I'm going to write a tune for them yeah and so he's gone and looked around and he's had a look through the Jubilate website and this is a cracking set of words yeah so straight away it's almost 
it's going to be a decent song. <laughs> I mean, he'd have to write a bad tune to make this into a bad song. And then what he's done is he's written this thing, which has got a nice... And that repeats throughout it, which gives it... Um, it just that, that sense of repetition seems, means immediately we know where we're going. I like the way it keeps resolving back to the tonic at the ends of lines as well, because I think it makes it that makes it sound personal rather than declaratory, and so that's quite a nice. It's a good sort of device. Is if you keep us kind of landing it, it's like it makes it internalise each each time you get to the ends of the lines. Um, I like as well the fact that he has this. The, oh, I forgot the tune already. The cross of Christ, love sacrifice. Declares God's son has paid the price. The the way he repeats that inner repeat to the line is quite clever, and I think gives it a little bit of musical interest rather than just making those two halves exactly the same. So I think that's good. Mm. Um, and then I guess the thing I I would suggest for, for Josh is just the what price is love, what matchless grace. That there are lots of phrases throughout it which go ba da da ba da 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 ba da. And maybe if you just turned around that priceless, priceless love, what a matchless grace, then the strong landing word would be love, because yeah. that would be the high, the high note. And then in the first two, it'd be he was the lamb. If you hit that as well, which sort of takes you up, it's quite high, but it makes it a really sort of satisfying landing note. Um, but apart from that, I think I think he's done an excellent job. And interesting, I had a look on the Jubilate website. And the suggested tune for it is um, O Tannenbaum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. And then when you sing it to that, the cross of Christ, love sacrificed, declares God's son has paid the price. Oh, God. I mean, Josh, thank you. <laughs> yes, you, you have resurrected the song. Because <laughs> this, this text needed, a, this is a great text. Yeah. It needed a tune. So, um, can I just say yeah, one really thing? Good job. Which yeah. is he's had a go. We didn't play it, but we he's had a go at a little tag at the end or a sort of refrain, chorusy bit. Um, which his lyrics are. So he's he's written these. It's by the cross and through your blood you have saved us by your mercy. Now that's fine, but I feel what he's really doing there is repeating slightly less poetically what he's already said, or what has already been said in all the verses. And to me, what it needs, if it needs anything, is a kind of wow. God, you are amazing. A response, uh, hallelujah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't think it needs much, but it needs that exhale of, so I'm giving glory to you, or so yeah. I'm giving my life to you, or so I'm, I'm stepping into. I, I don't, I don't want to be too prescriptive, but if if Josh, you could think of it as an exhale at that point. Yeah. Um, that that would I think really really seal it up. Um, as a, a completely usable song. Good stuff. Uh, so, Sam, um, how did you get on? Because I set you a task last time. Ah, uh, yes. So I had uh, I had fun with this. It took me a while. I had a few goes. And um, initially, your melody, Joel, it, it sort of has two halves, doesn't it? The first half's quite minor. Yeah. And then it kind of goes into this really major bit. And I thought, oh, right. So what it needs is... I sort of was being very literalistic and had the sort of very minor. I had words like um, uh, goes, da, 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 uh, "Have mercy, Lord," or you know, "Forgive yeah. us, Lord." And I was thinking very much around, okay, this is minor, so let's do the minor thing. Yeah, and then 
because you are great i had mm. that kind of major and 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 i got stuck in that and then it sort of it sort of dawned on me that i was being a bit too literalistic with the with the minor major um and then i opened ephesians 1 um and was trying to get inspired by that um and the the phrase open the eyes of our hearts um really really sort of i know there is a song that says open the eyes of my heart lord uh but i hope that this is different enough uh, and I've tried to be inspired by the whole of Ephesians 1, really, and that sense of who we are in Christ and then um, you know, sort of having God give us a revelation of that. And then what is the kind of response to that in terms of how we live in the world? Now, I know that when I sent you this, I forgot to tell you that in my head, two of the notes were slurred together. <laughs> and so so your first attempt, you you... You tried to hurry some words through there, didn't you? Yes. But then fortunately I <laughs> I pointed out um, and I think you smoothed a bit. Great, well, let's hear it. Open our eyes to the riches of hope in Jesus. Help us to see all we have As your sons and daughters seated with Christ As he reigns over all creation Both now and And all we can offer partners with Christ As He works to restore creation Sharing His love with the world Open the eyes of your children so we see the mystery All of the fractured and torn Pieces of creation I've got a possible tag. Help us to play our part. And Father, help us to know your heart. Fill us in. even know if I like that but it could happen after verse two and after verse three or it could not happen yeah nice one thank you Sam Thanks. I, I, I want to say on the record how well it's on the on the podcast 
how brilliant it is when you write a tune and you give it to someone and they come back with some fantastic words. Ah, cool. I'm really delighted. Thanks, Bob. I think that's a great job. I, I love um, hearing the diff, slightly different ways you've interpreted the phrasing to what I might have imagined. it. So in my line, there were sort of breaks in places with the lines that you've actually run together into lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this kind of... Um, the, the symmetry through it, open our eyes to the riches, open our eyes to your world, open the eyes of your church, the seated with Christ, partners with Christ, made whole in Christ. I think there's some really, really good stuff in there. Um, that, I mean, you, you you know from looking at it, there are some places where you could tidy up. There are some sort of half rhymes. Yeah. Um, and I think you can just, you could look, so particularly that last verse, open the eyes of your church so we see the mystery, all the fractures and torn pieces of creation. Is mystery the right word? I think there might be another word there that you could use. It's in the same way um, you could swap that that line, um, the second line round, um, all of creation torn and fractured. You know, there are ways uh-huh. of moving yeah. moving it around, so you you might find different things. Now, I just wonder in that final verse where you've got made whole in Christ. Actually, if you had wholeness in Christ, is the healing of earth and heaven or something like that? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That might be just a stronger expression as well, um, but yeah, great job. And I do like, I do like that you've done something just to give it again, just to give a pause in it with that tag. I wonder whether the fact that you you picked out the same melody, apart from anything else, might just be confusing. Ba-da-da. Everyone's going to go mm-hmm. want to go ba, want to go back again. Yeah, and so maybe you just turn it upside down. Um, Help us to play. Oh, you know, just yeah, that's great. Really simple. Um, and I, I like the idea actually that that's just sort of, that's like a final meditation on the end of it. Okay. Which is what which is what you left um, lingering with. On the other hand, to the praise of your glorious grace is a pretty cool way of ending as well. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to know. I mean, it, it's quite dense. Yeah, I'd be interested to know, you know, if you used it with the congregation, whether they would feel, oh, it go, it's, it's so much t- shoved in there. Do I need a, do I need a breather? Mm. And sometimes I wonder whether we could use instrumental bits as breathers rather than having to sing all the time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm quite interested to try it somewhere and see, see how it goes down. I would love it. I think try it, and I think keep working because I think this is this is good quality. Cool. I mean, the tune. It's awesome. Well, it's my turn, and um, I'm going to have to come clean. I have written something for your words. So you gave me this great set of words, um, actually on quite a similar theme to some of what you were just singing. Um, and I wrote something, and in particular, I took the words, which are sort of, they're quite prayerful. This world is crying for your mercy, suffering and pain. God, can you hear creation groaning? How long should we wait? Lord, turn our cries to prayers for mercy, turn our fears to trust, and may your mighty resurrection be revealed in us. And I actually, rather than sort of go down the the fragile prayer route, I, I thought, actually, I want to make this more sort of belligerent, insistent, and, and kind of faith-filled. Um, so I came up with this tune, and then just before we were going to record, I had a bit of a play, and I thought, actually, I've, I think I've got a much better idea. Um, but I haven't had time to do anything with it so Sam I'm I'm going to play that to you later and I'm going to work on it um but just be um safe in the knowledge that I have been having a go and I will offer something to you very soon 
Okay. Uh, yeah, but I'm really keen to hear it, and and maybe we can do a bit more um sort of back back and forward on it. So that ends our review of March's challenge, and we need to move on to April. So it's time to move on to the March challenge, and we are delighted to bring in to join us on this our good friend Mark Bradford. Mark, welcome to our show. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Mark. Hi, Sam. Mark is here as our, well, basically is our theological expert for the day. But we also ought to say Mark is is one of our songwriters. Um, he's recently, recently released a brilliant communion song that Mark had written. And actually, Mark and I go back quite a long quite a long way. I remember, Mark, about 20 years ago, um, you brought me a couple of songs that you'd been writing. Um, and I remember you brought this one, Jesus, My Lord and Saviour, which is a great song, which I've sung a lot over the years. Um, and... It was just, it was so good. I couldn't find anything to critique on it except trying to get you to change the tune of the last line. And and, I, and my suggestion was a really bad change. <laughs> the moment you sang it with the congregation, they all sang your original tune and it clearly was the right one. So you should have known at that point never to listen to me again about songwriting. <laughs> I think we changed the rhythm, actually. I think, Did I, we? I think yeah, I think you've got... Did I make credit. some contribution somewhere? No, I think there was. I think there was, yeah. Oh, good. It's good. So, Mark, just tell us... Um, a, bit, a little bit about you, where you, you're you in uh, Ripon, aren't you, and what you That's do there. Right. So, Yep, so I am into my third year as um, assistant curate here in Ripon um, at a church called Holy Trinity. Um, so, yeah, and the book uh, was something that I did last year, wrote last year, and came out at the end of January this year. So it's called um, Encountering the Risen Christ, and it takes a look at the uh, appearances of Jesus, the risen Jesus, to the disciples um, in that period between Easter and Pentecost. And uh, just each chapter sort of in the middle explores uh, one of those sort of personal encounters and, yeah, explores the meaning of the resurrection as part of that. Brilliant, brilliant. So... Um... This is good because it fits in perfectly with our plan for our April challenge. So, Sam, do you want to just tell us tell us about our challenge for April and then we'll we'll start to ask Mark some questions? Yeah, well, um, people might think it's a bit weird that we're doing an Easter-themed one after Easter Sunday, um, but actually Easter is not just a day. Mm. Uh, Easter is a whole season in the church year. If you follow the church year at all, um, then you should kind of be aware that actually Easter doesn't stop on Easter Sunday. And as I'm sure Mark's gonna gonna mention there, you know, just just in terms of stories, it isn't just you know, they went to the grave and he wasn't there and then Mary met him and thought it was a gardener and that's it. There is a whole load of amazing stories at the end of the Gospels mm. um that we can look at. So we can look at uh, you know, the story of Thomas or the Emmaus journey or Jesus reinstating Peter or uh and even up to the ascension uh, is all included in these fifty days of, of the Easter um, season so yeah I, I don't have any problems with uh, doing an Easter theme but I think the other thing we we talked about Joel was the fact that quite often if you're writing a song for a season you might write it in a hurry in the weeks leading up to that season so you know it gets to February and you think oh gosh I really want a resurrection song yeah um, whereas actually I think it's better to say well why don't I write some Easter songs now um when I'm in the midst of this season, I've just had Easter Sunday, but I'm, I can still tr- journey through this season. And then actually you might write a much better song because you've given yourself a whole year's lead time. Um, so that's, that's kind of why we're yeah, doing it now. That's good. That's good. And you're writing from your experience of, you know, I was saying I, I've just done, you know, I led on Easter Sunday and I know what songs I wanted now. 
So yeah. I'm in a really good position uh, to think about. Well, Mark, so it's great to, ha- to have you to kind of feed into this. Can you tell us, I guess to begin with, just kind of where has this book come from? How come you ended up writing a book ab- about this? Are you a, a kind of a seasoned author? <laughs> uh, not at all, no, no, no. This was my first first book. And, I mean, it came out of um, a course that I ran at church um, a couple of years ago. And it was really plugging a gap in that whole idea of Easter as a season. So I think that mm. had been something I've been thinking about for a bit, just reflecting on the fact that... Um, I guess growing up, I used to th- I used to think that Christmas was the big season because that's what church, in a way, modelled, and I guess it's certainly what society models. It's the big uh, main consumer festival of the year, and I remember the, the sort of the time in my teenage years where it really dawned on me actually, it's not Christmas, it's Easter. Yeah. And yet, as time's gone on, reflecting that you know we put so much effort into Christmas, and increasingly, I find that churches do Lent um, as a season. We do forty days of Lent. Yeah. And then come to Easter Sunday and Easter, this high point of the church's year, this event on which everything hinges, we, we, we do it for a day or sometimes even just for a morning. And, and, and then it just peters out. So the book was a way of exploring the whole of the sort of uh, seven weeks of Easter between Easter and Pentecost. Mm. And the course turned into a book and, uh, you know, it was, it was accepted by the publishers, which was great. And, mm. um, yeah, just just a fantastic way, perhaps, um, as, for me personally, as a beginning to really think through what is the message of Easter and how can we then begin to sort of put that into practice um, sort of in the seven weeks rather than just the one day or the one morning. Yeah, and you called it Encountering the Risen Christ. And yeah. um, and as you said, you ran it as a course initially, didn't you? And yeah. what how... How did people respond? Did you find that through doing this, how, how did people encounter the risen Christ? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was really interesting in the sense that it was it was something that they all twigged suddenly. Why is this most important event of the church's year something that we put so little time into? It was one of those things that when you sort of model it, some, there was a sort of aha moment um, mm. and, and people suddenly uh, thinking that one through. Um, I think the thing of encounter, just the, the stories themselves are... I mean, for me, some some of the most incredible stories in the in the Bible as a whole, so personal. Um, the way that Jesus encounters each of them is so distinctive, so different. He meets them exactly in the places where they are. Just that tenderness, the kindness of of Jesus shown there. And um, I think in the course, people just started to identify themselves in some of these different stories. You know, Mary and Thomas and Peter, the disciples locked away in the room. Clear past the road to Emmaus. Um, they're so full of drama and emotion and uh, intimacy and intensity and so many different things. It's uh, yeah, really stunning. Yeah, and I presumably you know you spent time studying this, preparing and writing and so on. Yeah. Um, wh- where have you found yourself in that story? Then is there is there one in particular that you that's really resonated with you or that you've identified with? Um, I think yeah, probably the Clear Pass Road to Emmaus story. So in the book, talk about how that sort of uh, landed for me personally. So the the theme of that chapter was shattered dreams and new beginnings. So um, I talk about the church that my wife Sarah and I were part of and we were part of this leadership team. And I mean, to cut a very long story short, we were Mm. there with some very close friends, but the dream that we went into it with for God and for the kingdom just just came crashing down among us. And uh, it, it... all the emotion of that journey and the sense of identifying with 
Cleopas, probably his wife Mary on that journey, they've, they've dreamed this dream for God's kingdom and it didn't turn out the way they wanted, but then the event of Easter changes everything. It blows that apart and it gives them a new start, a new beginning, and sort of explore personally how we went from this place of despair to new hope, new beginning, new start again. Um, mm. So that's probably the the most personal one, I guess, for me. I think. Mm. And were you surprised? Did you what did you did you discover things in there that you didn't expect to find when you were when you started studying these stories? Um, I think yeah, perhaps one of the things that that struck me was the sense of um, maybe how elusive Jesus can be. So you know, most famously in that Emmaus story, just at the moment they behold him. Yeah. Then, then then he's gone. He's gone. And the fact that, uh, you know, so often they don't recognise him. And just, you know, it really struck me so often we think we recognise Jesus, but, you know, actually we don't. He's 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 more elusive than we than we imagine. He doesn't fit into the agendas uh, that we so often have. Um, um, and I think the fact that for, I guess the main thing, perhaps, that that Jesus met each of those people exactly where they were. So Easter is this sort of triumphant season, and yet there's so much human emotion of sadness and failure and, you know, dreams that haven't worked out, doubts, very ordinary emotions within those stories, and yet Jesus meets them right in those places but doesn't leave them there, takes them to this sort of new place. So this sense that we don't have to be triumphant and have it all together to meet the risen Christ that he comes to us and then takes us to where he wants us to be um so that yeah that came through too that's an extraordinary theme isn't it I think pastorally it's it's important but in the context of worship that that what you were saying there about the elusive Christ you know earlier in the gospels you've got this kind of you know Mark's gospel this elusive Christ haven't Mm. you Mm. um but this idea that in some respects he goes on being, we can't put him in the yeah. box. We can't. Um... Yeah. It reminds me of my my friend uh, wrote a blog post that um, I think it was I think he wrote it on uh, the Saturday before Easter Day, um, and it turned out that he was actually in the hospital. He'd had some problems with his heart. So I'm reading this on Easter morning. It's a really good friend, um, and he'd written sat in his in his hospital bed. He'd written a blog post around the phrase he is not here um, from the resurrection account and the, the angels saying he is not here. And he said, you know, yes, we should focus on the triumph and the, and the glory, but also there is a loss here that Jesus said, I, you know, I have to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's often our experience is actually, you know, we, we as you've been saying, Mark, we experience the loss of Jesus or the yeah. elusive nature of Jesus. And, and for him to write that whilst in hospital, you know, being reminded of his mortality, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I sort of taking that theme on a little bit. I think um, another thing that came out was was a talk about in the introduction. You know, the shape of an encounter. And I think when we talk about we want to meet Jesus, we want to encounter Jesus. Normally, we think that will um, almost be a top up to what we already know about him, perhaps, and the experience we have. But in the book, trace it through with with Saul, Paul, um, and talk about three stages. The first stage of an encounter being disorientation. Um, you know, basically, we can't encounter unless we're first of all perhaps thrown off course. Um, everything that we know or we're certain of comes to be called into question. Mm-hmm. And that it's only when we're sort of disorientated, then there's space to 
reimagine, which is the second stage. So disorientation, yeah. reimagination. So the world has been blown apart and then suddenly there's space to imagine a new thing. And then thirdly, transformation, that we are changed um, and, and made different. But the sense that Easter wasn't just a, a top-up to you know, an ordinary experience of, of God, that it blew everything apart. It, it was so surprising, so unexpected. So maybe, you know, in songs sort of perhaps trying to capture that sense of, you know, radical newness, radical difference, yeah. um, you know, complete surprise. You know, Easter is is so unexpected. And I think the drama of that sometimes we just miss because we know how the story, uh, you know, turns out. Mm. So, Mark, tell us, what do you think then are the implications for our gathered worship? Uh, well, I guess I guess in lots of ways, um, you know, as I was writing the book, sort of thinking how these stories sort of ground themselves. I think perhaps perhaps the big one would be, I guess, songs of songs of transformation, both personally and and cosmically. And I think Sam might say something about the cosmic thing a bit later. But um, you know, the thing about um, I guess holiness, I think, for me, I don't know whether there's lots of songs being written at the moment about holiness, but that strikes me as a sort of big area of, um, you know, a big gap there, perhaps, in terms of, you know, being remade into the image, made into the image of Christ, um, through the power of the resurrection, through the power of the Spirit being transformed to be more like Jesus, this sense that we're called to be so different, um, I think songs about proclamation, the good news going out, you know, the mm. disciples there locked away in that room, such a picture sometimes of the church even yeah. today. Um, so a sense of having the confidence to go out and, um, you know, proclaim that good news. Um, the thing of Peter, forgiveness, you know, radical new start, um, clear past new dreams, reimagining the world, ourselves, our churches. Um, I think it's interesting how uh, in the Gospels, the, the message of the resurrection comes through personal encounters, stories of personal encounter, rather than sort of passages of propositional truth, as it were. So, yeah, you know, songs that tell stories rather than just, you know, lots of abstract truth, perhaps. Sam, you've I, you've been talking to me, I know, about this and some of those more kind of bigger consequences of the resurrection, the way that we often really personalise it for kind of personal salvation, but there's more to the story, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with Mark, um, but I think also when you look into Paul, it's, it's, it's interesting actually how the the Gospels don't really theologise very much. Mm. As Mark says, it's, it's personal encounter, but when you do look into particularly Paul, you start to see a lot of the implications being worked out. Um, and one of the things that strikes me is it's not just personal. So, you know, a lot of our songs we sing, you know, you died for me and you rose for me and, you know, your, your death and resurrection, so now there's no there's no stain of sin on me and I'm I'm transformed. And, and that's all good and true. Um, but the emphasis of the New Testament seems to go beyond that so i was just picking out ephesians 1 from verse 19 it says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead so this is resurrection power seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and god placed under his feet 
all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So you've got this huge cosmic picture of Christ not only being raised for my, you know, because it's it's a defeat over death for me or, you know, a vindication of his, his victory over sin, but also because God is going to make him the head over everything, every power, every authority, all heaven, all earth. Um, and that has implications. You know, if if it's not just, oh, my, my soul gets saved and eventually I'll go to heaven, but you get that, that bigger sense that I was mentioning before of, you know, Tom Wright saying God is going to renew heaven and earth. Um, Romans 8 saying the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You know, the creation itself, the stuff of earth. And we don't know what that's going to look like, but we can we can work with it. We can say, you know, God, your kingdom come now. Start to do what you what you do in us, what you started in the resurrection and when what you're going to fulfill uh, you know, when Christ comes again and, and heaven comes to earth. Um, to me, that has huge potential. And I've I've been asking around a bit and, and really looking and poking around at, at the songs that we sing currently and even even the hymns, you know, and actually I just think this theology is missing that God is renewing, restoring creation, uh, renewing the whole cosmos, putting everything right. I, I just don't think those implications are there. And I realise that as I'm saying that, it's, it's getting a bit, technical and theological but i think we can write it in songs in ways that are inspiring to know wow god you are going to make all things new yeah uh, i think we can write songs about that yeah. we've got an interesting juxtaposition there haven't we between on the one hand the way the resurrection is explained and revealed is in such personal and intimate way yeah. that mark's been talking about and yeah. at the same time the absolute consequences of it are they cover everything Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's huge, isn't it? And so you, we've got, and yet what we're probably saying is that lots of our Easter songs, they tell the story of resurrection without personal, without bringing in the the encounter, the intimate encounter, and the personal um, feelings and mm, the kind of. I was kind of. I've just written down bewildered triumph. I mean, there's yeah. But and at the same time, they stop short of going on to what does what is this going to mean for everything. You know, how how big is this? So for our challenge for this month, we really would love to get people writing some songs um, of, I guess, songs of resurrection, songs of Easter, songs of Easter time. We've talked a bit about that. And I guess one of the ways is uh, to have songs that actually delve into one of the stories, I suppose. And what we're saying is rather than just the hurrying to the tomb which is the one lots of people will go to, isn't it, if they want to write a, a story. Yeah. And even though that in itself is, you know, there's a real encounter going on, um, actually to pick another one. So if we do that and we focus in on, on that kind of personal story, Mark, how, how would you imagine that we then turn that into an act of worship? Do we need to have that sort of exhale of worship in it or is it enough just to kind of focus in on the story? Mm. Well, what a question. <laughs> um I, th- I think it, I was thinking about this this morning in sort of preparation, just reflecting. It, it's it's quite a subtle skill, I think, to to take these stories and um, I think there's you know you can almost narrate the story, but um, I think we're looking for sort of perhaps subtle illusions in places. Um, the Emmaus story, for example, you know, the idea of 
burning hearts, opened yeah. eyes. There's there's yeah. there's a whole load of sort of illusion that can be done around that that isn't you know narrating this to happen, then this happened, then this happened, but does take some of the, I guess the key phrases and some of the poetry of some of those stories um, and plays around with it. Um, yeah, how to how to how to do that in a song without it without it feeling like a sort of fairly cheesy reconstruction of the story. Um, I think we take we take some thinking. I think we've got a pretty good model in um, the song Oceans, actually. I mean, I know it's a bit of a Marmite song in some ways, um, but I think, you know, that song is quite clearly based on the story of Peter, you know, stepping out of the boat onto the onto the oceans. But it doesn't ever say, and then Peter stepped out of the boat and then he started mm. to sing. It It makes it from the point of view of someone saying, wow, I'm going to step out on the waters into the unknown. Um, and I know that you'll be with me, God. And so maybe people could have a look at that as an example of a of a you know where it's so clearly rooted in a gospel narrative but it's not a kind of storytelling song yeah i was thinking of um graham kendrick's the room all the room was hushed and still yeah because what he does is he he recounts the story in one verse and then the next verse is almost exactly the same but he just puts us in the room mm. um and and that's one way you could do it is that you sort of you t- tell us to that's, I mean, that's essentially what we're doing, isn't it? We kind of, we see that and then we put ourselves in the story and try and find ourselves in there. And, and that's that would be another yeah, model yeah, of yeah. how to do that. Um, we talked about, um, Mark, you talked about songs of holiness. Just just kind of flesh that out, out a bit in terms of the, the that relation of resurrection and holiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think it's, for me, it's a, it's a huge gap in in terms of just general thinking maybe in the church at the moment there's lots of stuff about becoming more missional and and you know more relevant to culture around it just strikes me that there is nothing more missional than than holiness that that when god's people look like jesus it's not so much what they're doing it's who they're being it's something that's holistic it's something that speaks of christ um and I guess the whole theme around resurrection is that, is that you know the life that Christ has, having defeated sin, having defeated death, is the life that He wants us to have too. That we are called to be remade into His image, and um, so I guess this whole idea of Easter as this time of of disorientation and then reimagination, but then transformation. That ultimately, we become people who look like him who sound like him who speak like him yeah and i think i think just to explore yeah to explore that as as maybe a heartbeat of of resurrection um you know a central implication of it and sam if you had to kind of encapsulate in a nutshell a kind of a challenge for a song about that that bigger those, those bigger consequences how could we put that uh yeah i would just say have a read of particularly things like ephesians 1 and 2 Romans 8, um, Revelation 21. Maybe if you're feeling really like you want a, a, a good challenge on this, read Tom Wright's Surprised by Joy. Um, it's supposed to be the more readable version, although it still can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but but just get, get into that and then start to think about the implications for what does it mean uh, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's another phrase that the Bible uses. Is he's the first fruits of... Um, the first bit of of the resurrection which is going to culminate in the resurrection of all things um but then you know start to make that really really practical and really you know so what does it mean that 
you know, the work we do with our hands is going to all play a part in God's resurrection project. What does it mean that what we do in our communities, that what we do in our gardens or what we do in our, uh, in our, in our family life is all going to be part of God making all things new. Um, and yeah, just explore that and, and, and bring that into a song. Brilliant. So I think that's, that feels like a good, um, little set of challenges there which is um, the first kind of a choice then for our, for our writers, which is the first one is around um, taking the stories of personal encounter. And a great way to do that basically would be to get hold of Mark's book, um, which is Mark. It's called Encountering the Risen Christ. It's by Mark right. Bradford. Um, we're going to see um, if we can get some copies and stick them in our online um, store. So we'll let you know on, on that. Um, and if not, I'm sure you can find it online in the usual outlets. Um so songs about that personal encounter and then connecting them with us. Um, then, in a sense, two different sorts of songs which are about big consequences. And one is about this transformation, about becoming like Christ because he's defeated sin and death. And that has an impact in our lives and in the way we look and we appear and we act and so on. And then this other one, which is this Ephesians 1 idea of Christ to this power has put him as Lord over all things, bringing everything under his control and that means it has an impact for everything and that our work and our life and our calling operates within that great cosmic um consequence as we're kind of calling it how does that sound for a, a set of three different songs that you could approach for yeah, our march challenge yeah brilliant mark it's been really brilliant to have you with us great thank you uh, thanks for coming and sharing some of your insights and your learning i <laughs> um, hope people will pick you. up a copy of the book um, and also we know Mark's got some um, songs on the boil he's got one really good one that I really keep trying to get him to finish so it'll come it'll come sometime if you could just work on that for us it'd be brilliant uh, great to talk to you so that's our challenge for March um, it's great to hear from Mark and uh, as always do get in touch with us um, either by email podcast at resoundworship.org twitter at resoundworship or facebook.com slash resoundworship.org um, we'll finish with our featured song and I think we'll pick one out which has a resurrection theme so we're going to finish um, with um, Come See the Sun which is one we've had around for a few years um, to fit in with this whole theme we've been talking about um, Sam thanks very much for joining me this time it's alright nice to be here and uh, we'll see you next time bye 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 come see the son of the living God hanging on a tree dying there for you and me come see the bringer of truth and grace nailed there for us agony across his See the healer
in Christ The cross of Christ The grave clothes now Come see the king is alive again Risen from the dead Ushering a new age in This is victory This is life for Jesus Christ